Um, hi, everyone. Oh, thank you. Um, so today we're continuing in Advent, because if you hadn't heard, it's Christmas in 13 days. That is right, 13... Oh, yeah. Oh, my face! That's right, there's just 13 sleeps until Christmas. Very exciting. Um, so today we're going to be looking at what the Christmas story is all about and how we can find joy in that. Um, so to start us off, I'm going to invite up Carolyn Chart to come and read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Thanks, Carolyn. She's just giving you all time to find it if you wanted to read along. <laughs> okay, John 1, 1 to 14. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Thanks, Carolyn. So the word became human and made his home among us. I love that so much. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for reading. Just dropping my face mask. <laughs> um, so there's quite a lot in that passage. So I'm going to walk through it at first bit by bit and then get a bit quicker once we're through the first chunk. So if you're sat there thinking, oh, she's taking ages to get through it, and we're only through the first three words, do not panic. You will be at home in time for lunch, if that is your plan. Um, <laughs> so I thought for a while about how to begin this talk, and then I thought, how does John begin? So he says, in the beginning, the word meaning Jesus already existed. Now, there are four books in the Bible we call the Gospels, and these are written by four very different people, and they tell the news about Jesus in four very different ways. So Mark, the shortest of the four, the book that is, not the man, I'm not entirely sure of the height of the Gospel writers, um, he begins in Jesus as already a grown man. He, he says, never mind all this nativity business, I'm going to get straight to the point. Then Luke begins just before Jesus was born when the angel was telling Mary she was going to give birth um, and have a baby. Very nice. Jumps in straight before the action begins, spot on timing. And Matthew also begins then, and he gives us a lovely genealogy first, a list of ancestors. 
So the biblical version of Batman begins, or X-Men origin stories, Wolverine. Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham thousands of years earlier. And this might seem a little excessive from Matthew, but I think John saw what Matthew had done and took it as a challenge. I see your Abraham, and I raise you the dawn of creation. If there was a competition between the writers to see who could start the earliest, John would win by a long way. He may as well have said, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. We're talking that early. He didn't just start thousands of years ago. He started at the very beginning. And when I say the very beginning, I mean the very beginning. What he writes is, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. How many nativities have you seen that start that far back? None, right? Come on, John, you're supposed to be telling us about Christmas, about Jesus being born, not about the beginning of the world. Now, I imagine a lot of you have a friend a bit like John, someone who, when they tell a story, they give you way more backstory than you need. They tend to be the people that um, tell you much more than you actually wanted to know, probably a little bit rambly, don't really know how to tell a story in under a minute, now, if anyone sat there thinking of me and answered that question, rude. I see you, Lewis. <laughs> well, unlike those friends, John is actually starting at the beginning for a very good reason. He isn't giving us unnecessary details or rambling. He wants us to understand why this story is being told. He actually wants us to understand why before he even gets into the story. He wants us to understand how this story is life-changing and the cause for great joy because this baby, or the word as John calls him, while he was born in the Roman Empire, was around before the world was made. The word was God. We heard last week that God's people have been waiting for a Messiah, for a king. Well, they got God himself. Imagine doing a Sainsbury's order for a supermarket-owned brand vanilla ice cream. And when it arrives, you see they didn't have any supermarket-owned brand vanilla ice cream. So instead, they've given you two whole tubs of Ben & Jerry's cookie dough. You were expecting ice cream, and it was already exciting, but now you have Ben & Jerry's. And what does Ben & Jerry's always bring other than brain freeze? Joy. <laughs> Well, I know this might be controversial, but expecting a king and getting God himself brings an even greater joy than Ben and Jerry's. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So everything before now was an intro, really. I've done a John. Joy is the topic of today's talk, specifically basing our joy in Jesus, the why behind the nativity story. Jesus, the main character, is God himself, a person of God that has always existed. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. This shows us so much about Jesus, about God. It shows us that God is relational. He isn't a lonely figure floating in the sky, but he is love itself, and being love itself, he is always in relationship. The three persons of the Trinity existing in perfect relationship with each other as one being, as one God, a God who is love 
And it was this God who is love that created us. John says, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. This means God created us in relationship. God created us in love. I mean, isn't that such a cause for joy? Creation is an act of love. God didn't just wake up one day and thought, why not? He created us out of love and to be loved. John says, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. His life brought light to everyone. What a joyful existence we were made for. God is not an absent parent. He is intimately involved in his creation. He made us with a plan to be part of our lives, to be part of our world. Really, really hard not to sing The Little Mermaid. Um, <laughs> he is the light that the darkness can never extinguish. But just because the darkness can never extinguish the light, it doesn't mean that the darkness isn't there. God made us out of love with a plan to live with us and for us to never be separated from him, from his love, from his joy. But like any relationship, consent is important. He didn't force himself on us. God gave us a choice and we didn't choose him. We chose the other option. And if God is light and we didn't choose him, it's clear we chose darkness. That's what John's talking about when he's telling us about light and darkness. It's about God or not God, life with him or without him, relationship or independence. So he turned away from what we were made for and nothing can ever fill that black hole, nothing else can satisfy. Because the thing is, as John says, his life brought light to everyone and if you cut yourself off from the light, you get darkness. If you cut yourself off from the light that gives you life, you get darkness that gives you death. And just like John wasn't talking about literal light and darkness, this isn't literal life and death. Spiritually, we died. We were cut off from the light that gives us life. And God grieved and he was heartbroken, but he didn't leave it there. And here's what I love so much about John. When he sat down and thought, what do I need to say first about the nativity? He didn't jump straight to the details of what happened. His first priority was to tell us why. He wanted us to know right at the start that God himself was coming to sort this out. Like Phil told us last week, people have been waiting for a king, for a savior, and John wanted people to know right at the start that that is exactly who Jesus is. He was there to bring them light, to bring them life, and to bring us joy. John says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The word, Jesus, the one who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
God sent a man named John the Baptist to tell everyone that the Savior they'd been waiting for was coming. And he wasn't just a Savior coming to save them for a while, but he is the one who is the true light that the darkness can never extinguish. You see, when Jesus came, he opened a way for us to live with God forever. That black hole I talked about earlier, that unfulfillment, can finally be satisfied. Not to drop spoilers for Easter, but Jesus died for us so that we could have eternal life. I don't know if anyone else has ever felt this, but as a child, I often felt so much anticipation for Christmas Day, and the day itself feels so joyful. There's presents, food, whole family together, and the Brussels sprout always making its way into my mum's stocking, although that one might just be my family. Um, but this day is one of celebration. And then December 26th, you wake up, and it's a whole other year until the next Christmas. That is not joy. That is happiness, and it's wonderful. But joy isn't fleeting. It isn't there for a short time. Joy is meant to fill your life as a constant, even in the hard times. Jesus didn't come so that we could have a happy Christmas morning and some mince pies, even though they are great. The joy he has to offer is so much deeper. John writes, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. This joy that Jesus is offering us is the joy of no longer being an orphan, but becoming children of God. The joy of once being lost, but now being found. So what does all of that theology actually mean for us? I've talked about how Jesus is God and how he came into the world as the promised king and savior. And John wants us to understand why. The reason is so that we can become children of God. But what does that actually look like? So sticking with John's talk of light and dark, parents, if your child is afraid of the dark, how do you comfort them? Two things, right? You can turn the light on and you can stay with them. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to switch the light on and to be with us. John says, so the word became human and made his home among us. I think it's safe to say that this last year and a half has taught us a lot about separation. We've all got people we've not been able to see, whether that's relations that live abroad or grandparents they've had to isolate or grandchildren that have been born in this time that you've never met. And it's just not the way it's supposed to be, is it? We were not made for separation. Now picture the day you finally got to see them face to face. That joy is what Christmas is about. Jesus came to undo any separation between us and God. And we get to meet with him face to face. There's no barriers, no screens, no video calls, just Jesus, and he made his home among us. And the thing is, just like the first time, we have a choice. Jesus has come to switch the light on and to be with us, but do you want him to? Now, for a lot of us here, we've already made that choice, but I wonder if that deep joy I've talked about feels a bit elusive at the moment. 
Now, I'm not talking about sadness here, and neither was John. Jesus doesn't promise us happiness. Sadness is a part of life, and it would be unnatural not to grieve some things. But underneath your emotions, what is at your core? Is it joy? And if not, then what is holding you back? I think the reason John wanted to start his story by telling us why is because he wanted us to really know what we are celebrating. Because it's easy to believe Christmas is joyful because of the occasion, the miracle that happened, people getting together. But what happens when that moment ends? We don't tell the nativity story every year simply to remind ourselves of a time that was joyful. We tell it every year because it's reason to be joyful all the time. God has made his home among us and made the way for us to become his children. That's true every single day. But isn't it so easy to forget? Life gets so busy and there's always a thousand and one things to do and you're probably not thinking about being a child of God whilst you dash from work to do the school run. And I'm not saying it has to be a constant mantra in your head. Jesus is here. I am a child of God. Jesus is here. I am a child of God. But I wonder when the last time was for you that you really felt the joy of that knowledge. I'm not just talking about knowing something here, but really letting it become a part of you. I'm not going to lie to you, I found the last few months really hard. Things have gone wrong at work and in my personal life, and I was basically bed-bound for about six weeks while all of that was going on. Um, and it got to the point where I was just miserable all the time. And people were noticing. Now, if you know me, you'll know I'm not someone that can hide what I think. <laughs> and everything I feel shows on my face. Believe me, you never have to worry about what I am thinking because you can practically read it on my forehead. My housemate Katie always knows when I'm not hearing what she's saying because she'll say, I just look completely vacant. <laughs> she knows that there's nobody home. <laughs> anyway, what people have been seeing on my face for that difficult time um, was, that I, was that miserableness, that deep sadness and heaviness that I couldn't seem to shake. And so whenever anyone prayed for me to get better, to not be bedbound anymore, they started praying that I would have joy because they could literally just see it in me that I didn't have any. And I was crying out to God during this time saying, Father, where is my joy? And continuing to feel the same way. And then one day when I said that to him, he replied to me saying, no, Rachel, where is your stillness? And I stopped, and I thought, and I genuinely couldn't remember the last time I'd managed to come before God without all of this on my mind. And with everything going on, my mind had been constantly buzzing away, and when I came to God, I told him what was on my mind, but I wasn't really looking at him. I was focusing on all of my problems. Our joy is in Jesus he came to be our light, and that didn't stop being true while I was struggling for joy. It just stopped being my focus. Let me say it again. It didn't stop being true while I was struggling for joy. It just stopped being my focus. 
And so that day, I sat down and I wrote down all the things that were distracting me from being able to look Jesus in the face. And the list was a couple of pages long, but at the end of it, there was nothing left, and I sat in God's presence, and I felt still. And then I felt joy. And then the next week, I was healed of what had been keeping me in bed. If anyone here is struggling for stillness at the moment, can I encourage you with that? I mean, just writing down everything that is on your mind and then just waiting. The reason we have to be joyful at Christmas is true all year round. That's what John is making clear right at the start of his book. This is good news. But the reason we celebrate it every year is because as people, we're not always very good at remembering or keeping our focus on those things. So I want to invite you, if you've known that joy before or want to have it for the first time, to really let the truth of what Jesus means for us sink in and to spend time to fix your focus on him because he is always worth it. Now, I realize today I've been only covering the why behind the Christmas story. So make sure, if you can, you come along or tune in to our carol service next meeting at 6 p.m. next Sunday, as Mikey very kindly told us in the weekly news. Um, and that's where we'll be reminding ourselves once again of the Christmas story. And this is a great opportunity, not only to remind ourselves, but to share this great joy we have with other people. So do invite other people along. Um, and as I finish, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to earth and for making your home with us. Please help us to keep our eyes on you and to find our joy in you because you never fail. And please help us to be a church that share that with our community and with people that don't know you. Let us be a light to them as you are to us. Amen.